Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, it's, it's really a privilege to be here. I am in awe. I must tell you, listening to the vocabulary, um, I'm thinking of um, Rudolf Hoss one day, one of the times when our, in, our <coughs> exchange rate was falling through the floor. Um, I met him at a meeting and he was very jovial and laughing and whatever. I said, Rudolf, how are you? He said, I'm very good. He said, I said, but why? He said, look, I'm in the entertainment business now. I said to him, what do you mean? He said, well, everybody asks me what the exchange rate is going to do. And when I tell them, they laugh at me. <laughs> so when Andrew spoke, some of that happened. We are really in the, not the soft belly of the economy, but the hard part of the economy. And um, I was thinking of, of telling you a little, give you four things. One is a little bit of background of how it fits together. Uh, secondly, what are actually driving, what, what, what is happening in the world that makes us uh, smiling or, or, or burst into tears? A little bit about the supply dynamics, because I think it's quite important that uh, you guys that work, by the way, there are some people sitting here that are working with, with my little nest egg as well. I hope you understand what these guys are saying. But it's quite different in, in, in what happens in, in the real world, in a factory and, and in the steel world. And then a little bit about policy issues and the uncertainty there. Uh, it's used glibly, but it's a real issue for us. I mean, electricity is a policy failure that has a massive impact on what's happening in steel and engineering. Now, I had to show you this. This is 100 meters up in the air at Kusile, tower number four, number three, each one, and this is what we make, each one of these columns weigh 80 tons. They have been welded together by one guy standing in front of a cradle. You can imagine, if any one of you do DIY welding, you have to weld something. It has to be still an 80-ton square tube has to be welded together. It hangs in a cradle. And he presses a button, and he welds everything, and then he presses a button, and eventually this thing is aligned. That tower is 100 meters up in the air. The whole, the column contains the boiler, the turbines, the whole lot. 800 megawatts will eventually come out of that tower. And but just for interest sake, that is another crane about 50 meters high on top of that. And there's a, an operator sitting at the top of that operating and picking things up from the, from, from the floor. So this is what we are in. And I would like to show you, when I talk about metals engineering, just a little bit of background of what I'm talking about. Uh, normally, people talk about metals and engineering, and, and, and we add plastics and rubber and electricity there. It's a 500 billion uh, sector. Now, this slide, I don't want to explain it in detail. Sorry, guys. Uh, have a look there. Uh, this is really the inputs on the left that goes in. The red is what we import to manufacture. The value add here in the middle, that's our contribution to GDP, the 123 billion, last year's numbers. And this is what we produce. And the most important thing, two things I want to tell you about this slide. We are in the business of producing intermediary stuff for other businesses to use. And we're exporting half of what we produce. And half of the domestic market is supplied by imports. Now, just think. Exchange rates, world economic patterns, domestic investment, whatever. And that's what I want to show you. And just to give you an idea, there are four sectors of which we are one. 
that are really at the core of this. It's mining, construction, the auto sector, and metals and engineering combined, we produce 70 to 20% of GDP. But if you, you can choose the multiplier, we buy about twice that much from, from, our, from our input side by two, by three, gives you an idea of how large and how much impact this has. The problem is, if the mines are striking, we don't have a market. Or if construction is not working properly and there's nothing going on there, we don't have a market because we sell reinforcing uh, steel to them and we sell structural steel to them. If the auto sector is not doing well, we don't sell parts to them. If we're, not, if we're striking, they import the parts that they use to build the cars. You could clearly see it in some of the data. So just to give you an idea, I have on this side the mining, auto construction, expo, the, uh, uh, ex and exports. Exports, like I'm saying, is 50% of our production goes overseas. And this is our production, metals and engineering. We earn 80% of the foreign exchange through exports. Now I'm going to show you something else about electricity and how crucial this thing is and how it's interrelated with each other. So let's talk about the domestic situation. And I'm going to try and tell the story and use the, the rest of the graphs just as illustration because I don't have enough time. We're in a situation of low economic growth. I don't have to tell you that. I'm so glad Francia spoke about that. It has an impact on us. The component of our economy that is actually stagnating at the moment is gross fixed capital formation. And I just told you that this is what we make. So it's, it's actually, it's not consumption and it's not government spending. It's actually the, the investment portion which is stagnating. The components are, I'll show you, I'll split it. In other words, the overall economy into gross fixed capital formation and then into the components. I'll show you how, how they are, are, are faring and then that has a big impact on us. The large projects, the infrastructure projects, I've given up on trying to understand how much it is. Because the, the big issue here is people uh, put together these big projects into a lump sum. They talk about a stock number, and it's trillions. But you don't understand the flows. And the flows are actually what are impacting on us. So I'm coming from the other side. I, I look at some of the sub-industries in the metals and engineering se sector, and I'll show you what the impact was. It's all uh, the closest that I can get. Again, the impact on us. So. The economy, this is Reserve Bank numbers. You just heard Francho this morning about the slow growth and the risks to it. We were not surprised by the GDP numbers that came out yesterday because we were actually the worst performers there. This is gross domestic, the, the economy, and, and the blue line is, is gross fixed capital formation. You see what I mean by this is the thing that is actually stagnating. Kais Brachemann wrote an excellent piece. He just took one page of the Reserve Bank bulletin and he said, Look at agriculture, mining, manufacturing. All of them are all more or less stagnant for the last three to four years. If you split that further up, in other words, if you take that blue line and you split it up into its components, I hope you can see, sorry, the, the blue is residential building. The green is non-residential building where a lot of reinforcing is going in, much more than in housing. Construction works are actually the power stations and the big investment projects. Look at what's happening. And then machinery, and we make a lot of machinery and equipment for the rest of the economy, for the mines, for the, for the, uh, the, the overall economy, and, and the transport industry. But you can see, depending on where you, you're exposed, gives you 
either grows or not. And I tried to do this here to show you, this is the red line is production, our production, plotted on the growth rates of those components, but it doesn't come out well. If you have a look at it, you will see, but if you now, I'm telling you that that is the case, what I think we should do, what I should do is to look at fixed investment in each one of these components and then correlate that with our production. I think that's going to be a very close correlation. Right. The big projects, I, you can't probably see this, but this is the number 813 billion that was in the last budget speech. You see what I mean by a stock number? It's a trillion. So everybody talks about a trillion and, and expectations are uh, uh, hot and, and, and rising. This is what has been happening in the components of the metals and engineering sector since 2010. Remember 2010, I'll show you another slide as well, where in our own investment in our sector actually grew quite substantially because there were lots of hopes. There were actually hopes of building another uh, uh, iron ore smelter. This is the component, structural metal. Let me start here. The red one is fabricated metal, which would be typically things like what you saw, what you've seen on that slide of the, of the Kusili Tower. And a combination of it. You would imagine that electrical machinery, which is the stuff that goes into the power stations and transformers and, and uh, transmission lines, would be blow, blown out of the water. It didn't happen. You can see, this is an index number, so you can clearly, you can see uh, uh, fabricated metal has been doing well, about 30% better than 2010. This one, which is the uh, structural metal, funnily enough, is 20% is lower than it was in 2010. Now, one would not have expected this, but you can see how the, the hype is built around what is being spent, and there will be some acceleration. I don't have the transport side here, but I mean, when, when the coaches are being built by Transnet and Praza, it will have a massive impact because it's a lot of steel and very high-quality steel, actually, that goes into that. So, the domestic economy is not going, going well. Gross fixed capital formation is not doing well at all. And the components of that are actually not equally positive or negative. That's all I wanted to convey. International, I don't really have to talk to about it because you guys have been talking about it the whole morning. Metals and engineering export 50% of what it produces. I'm going to show you where it's going. You know, and every, we talk about it all the time, the international recovery is tentative and patchy. Um, what we often look at is either metals trade, metal and metal containing trade, which comes from, from World Steel Association and World Steel Dynamics, and the purchasing managers indices, because it shows you what is actually the activity that takes place. And I'll show you one that, that our production and domestic purchasing manager index compare, and it's actually a fantastic leading indicator of what's going on. We are in a commodity price trough. It's a massive impact on us because it's pressure down on us. By the way, said that there may be the pass-through of inflation from the exchange rate is not that strong. The simple answer is, in, my, in our sector, is there is no demand. There's not enough demand domestically or internationally. So the only way you can flog the stuff is actually to drop the prices. And I'll show you, see if some monitors, we actually build, built a PPI for metals and engineering called PIPs, the Price and Index Pages. I'll show you the correlation between that and the exchange rate. And there's been a, a, a break in the, in, in the relationship. Um, the trade balance, our trade balance and our little contribution to our big deficit, the 5-6% deficit in the country. Funnily enough, there was an improvement in 2014. So let's have a look. 
This is where we export to. You can see how important uh, Asia has become. Europe, this is Africa. Africa is for some of the components where we follow the mines and we follow macro and these guys building. There, there's a lot of, of, of sales taking place, but it's a very peculiar demand pattern in, in Africa. And 15 is, is the Americas, very small. Um, and not important actually for us, platinum and those sort of things go into the Americas. World economy, not growing as one would expect, tentative, it's taking longer. I listen, go and read Francois' speech again. This is the Purchasing Managers Index, and I must apologize, it's not the latest, but you all read about it. All tentative, they're all around 50%, and we don't really know where it's going. So all of this has an impact on our exports. This is the commodity price cycle. Pressure on everything that we do on prices. So it's simple. This is the trade in metals and metal containing products. Comes from World Steel Association. You can see how it leveled off. And their latest stuff is saying maybe 1%, maybe 1.5%, 2% growth. Whereas there was a massive, if you look, this is, this is 2009. This is the bottom of the crisis. There was a 25 to 30% improvement since then, but it's stabilized or, or, or stagnated since. And this is our trade balance. The negative. It, 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 it has all sorts of implications. When I, when I showed this to the bank guys, the Reserve Bank, um, they of course know this, but they always think about the bigger picture, which is what they should do. Um, if I plot on this, and I, unfortunately I didn't do it, if you plot on this the import penetration, remember this is the balance between exports and imports. It's also always a bugger because you never know which one is the one that increases and decreases. If you plot the import penetration in our market from here, from 1990, it was about 20%. It's now 50. If you plot export as export ratios, exports as percentage of production, you get more or less the same pattern. But depending on what happened in between, you get the, the trade balance going negative completely or recovering slightly. It has a lot to do with uh, whether I've just finished something. We have a conference in, in, in Johannesburg tomorrow. Uh, a lot of Im imports has a lot to do with whether we grow as an economy because we have high import propensity. What is actually expanding? So if you build infrastructure projects and you, you need turbines, you don't make them. You import them from EG or wherever, um, etc. There's a whole combination of, of factors that influences whether export imports accelerates or not as much. So what is the impact of, of, of this on, on our production side? And I want to show you the, the interrelationships between economic growth, manufacturing growth, and, and metals and engineering. It's fascinating. We, the, the closer you get to the detail, the more unstable it becomes. We are still 20% below 2007 peak. Now think about the financial crisis and that big dip. Our capacity utilization is below 85%. It's actually closer to 75% in some instances. You don't run at full capacity. You don't invest. You sometimes don't even allow for depreciation. And the investment, why would you invest if you're not using your capacity? And it has profitability, profitability, profitability impacts because 
if you don't run at maximum capacity, your unit cost of production is just so much higher. So your profitability just goes down and down and down. You can run machines at 24 hours. If you run them at one shift at eight hours, it's literally a third of what you can get out of it. And this is where the exchange rates and the prices are actually intermingling with each other, and it's fascinating to see what happens and what the impact is on our profit margins. Because if you think about it, the, P, the intermediary production price index, remember the PPI is split into five components. It is, we are 70% of the intermediary price index. It is what we can, the cost that we generate in the economy, but there's also what we're selling the stuff at. So it's also an indication of our profit margins, and you can clearly see it in, in the data. And then a little bit about confidence. I said to you, the PMI, the South African, P the Kagisu PMI, not the HSBC one, the Kagisu PMI is closer to manufacturing and then closer to us. By the way, th we are 35% of manufacturing. I should have said that earlier. Um, it is actually a fascinating leading indicator of, of what goes on and what should go on. Look at that. The red line is, is the economy, and it's year-on-year -year number, so it's not quarterly, seasonally adjusted, whatever, that always gives you different pictures. I always say to people, you've heard the story about statistics and lies and whatever. It depends on what you want to compare. You can show, you can show that it grows or declines depending on what you do. Look at manufacturing and how much more volatile it is. Now, it's natural because it's a smaller portion of the economy. I see statistics says only 13% of the economy in, 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 the, in the first quarter. Uh, and then steel and engineering, which is now again just 30% of manufacturing, look at the instability. Now, that line, the average of that line is almost nothing. So, this is our production looks since the financial crisis. We have not recovered since the financial crisis, which is a funny thing in a way, but if you think about the links with the economic growth and growth capital formation, then it is actually very logical. I said to you about capacity utilization. That is our capacity utilization for the sector, way below the 85 margin. And if you look at this data further back, you will see that there is only about 12 years in, since we have data that we ran at 85% capacity, where investment took place. I have a snapshot here of profits, we call net surplus values, is uh, given to the statistics every quarter. Uh, and this comes from that. It's net surplus. It was profits plus from activity on total inputs. So it's an indication of what happens with profits. That blue line, net surplus input ratio. And that is, nine, that is 2007. Look at that line. Now just think back about the capacity utilization and the production levels. This, on the red line, is actually fixed investment in the sector as a percentage of its output. I said to you that there was great hopes around 2010. Remember, we were starting with the power stations. We, we built that uh, basically a steel structure, the, 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 the Durban airport. We were building the, the, the stadia, all of them, a lot of steel. There were talks of building another Arcelor plant at this time. So there was an expectation that there would be, that this line would improve and it faded. Again, if you go back further, longer term, you get fascinating comparisons. The exchange rate is the blue line, dollar, and this is our, our both production costs, 
in other words, what the producers are asking for the steel and what the merchants are asking for the steel. Now, that two lines are that. Look at where that thing broke with the exchange rate. And my explanation is it's simple. There isn't domestic demand, and international, the international market is crowded and heavily contested. Everybody's dumping the stuff here. It's a dangerous word to use, but that is what happens because they can't flog it anywhere else. And if you now think about the, the profit margins, if I go back there, just, just keep that pattern in your mind and look at that. The time scales are slightly different, but it's, it's, it's very closely linked, actually. Now, what is the confidence levels? Now, there are several. Am I dead? Um, <laughs> the Kahishu one, the business activity sub-index is a very good indicator for us. And I'll show you the slide just now. But what I have there is the Bureau of Economic Research's uh, line. This is the, the green one is the business activity index, the PMI. That is the business confidence from the, from the Bureau of Economic Research. Both of them, of course, Bureau, but the one is a bit wider. Look at the comparison and look at how negative this is. This is net balances, one of the ways that we express this. You subtract the positives, the negatives from the positives, and you get a number, and it gives you an idea of the, the, this, the, the, whether there's going to be growth or decline. That's really what, why this is important. This is the PMI, the same thing, that blue line, plotted on our production. Now look at the leads and lags. 12 months to 18 months after you get a turn in the PMI, we turn. And it's very unstable. I mean, you can't, you can't, I mean, it looks like an electrocardiograph. You can't, look. that's why the monthly data is so noisy and, and, and actually useless. The first thing we do is we plot it onto, this, onto these longer term slides because that gives you an idea whether you can expect the, the pattern to, to change either way. So this is, this is what we're getting. Political uncertainty. Now, there's a very nebulous thing. I read something there that the coronation guys have written about the genie in the lamp and the politics that you can't look at and you had to invest in, in Egypt because the fundamentals were right and, the, and were, they were good companies. By the way, they are building three steel plants, protecting them terribly by tariffs. But it has an influence, and this indicator that I'm going to show you is coming from the Bureau for Economic Research. They've been asking it since the 80s. Uh, the question is, is the general political climate of, of, of a constraint to you? Of, 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 is it a problem for you? And this is what I'm using. So it has very, very real implications for us because of the policy uncertainty around it. Electricity, I said it earlier, is a policy failure. Decisions were taken of not to do things, and some other people were thought would do it, and nobody did it. There's an article this morning in Engineering News whether we have an engineering, whether ESCOM has a maintenance plan. I'm going to show you where we must, we must all be very, very afraid about this. Fiscal constraints, the electricity crisis and industrial policy, I'll try and show you why these things are linked for us. The empowerment bills. And please, the journalists, don't write that I'm saying it's wrong. It's uncertain what is, what is, what is expected of the companies. And you've heard the outcry about the, the clarification note that came out and 
basically wiping out the deals that were made. It's actually quite important for what happens. And then the property side of, which is one of the pillars of, of, of the market system, which is, which is a little bit worrying. And then industrial relations instability. Remember, when you export, and, and I presume every supplier has that conundrum, that the price must be right, and the, 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 the buyer must know that you're going to be able to deliver. Internationally, it's even a bigger issue. If you're not certain that someone making car seats or um, catalytic converters in PE will be able to deliver the damn thing in the factory in Germany so that you can put it in the car engine, and I'm explaining you now how complex these things are, put it in the car engine there, export it back to South Africa, put it in the BMW and export it to the east. If you're not part, a certain part of that supply chain, just lose that. And the same applies for labor. I'll show you the data now. This is this question that the Bureau is asking. Is the general political situation a problem for you? I've inverted it on this axis. It says the percentage of the respondents that said it is a problem on the quarterly growth rate of the GDP. I don't have to say anything. This is the ESCOM story. This is not my slice. I kept it like this, so Gilligat, sorry. I'm not using others. Uh, <coughs> template here. What you see here is the big coal fire fleet and their ages. Now you have a few young ones like Juba and, and a few here, unfortunately, is a little bit unclear, but that is the important line. This is when they are 30 years old, they have a midlife crisis. They have to be serviced and maintained like your car. This is the maintenance schedule for a power station. Now here is 30. Now here you change things like turbine fans and the whole boiler. Now can I go back to the previous slide? Can you see how many of them are in their midlife crisis? Do you understand why there is such a massive problem? I've said to, in previous uh, presentations, we have only one choice. We take the cost now or later. Later it will be more expensive. Now it is very expensive. So, this is what, not, what has not been kept to. And the result is this. Now, I don't know what exactly this uh, uh, acronym stands for, but is the it is the postponed investment and postponed maintenance on the outages. It took seven years to get here. They're talking about three to four years to get out of it. But do you understand? Just make the link between that peak in the maintenance that has to take place and ESCOM's financial position. And there is, the reason is we have not maintained and we have not expanded capacity because a lot of these, they are built for 50 years. They are built for 50 years. That one is 52. This is uh, Komati. Komati is 52. 60, you wipe them out. By 2025, we need to replace about 30% of them because they're too old. This is why this is such a serious issue. 
So when we are now talking to our members, we're saying, you better seriously consider whether you shouldn't do first investment in either standby capacity or, but it's almost impossible to put in capacity that can replace ESCOM because the numbers that you're talking about is the same numbers that the businesses will have to invest. Because you can, you, can you imagine, how much time do I have? Can you imagine, you have a furnace, you throw a lot of iron ore in it, you put a lot of coke in it, and you put blitz underneath and you, and you fire it up. And it's been running for three or four hours, and the blitz die. The electricity goes off. You're sitting with a cauldron of molten iron that is going to cool down. It took Oslo something like three months. To, it happened. For, there was an error. There was, a, there was a, 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 an accident at Newcastle. It took them three months to drill that iron ore, iron, malted half, malted iron ore, out of that furnace. A chocolate factory. The guys would get the ingredients, put it in the mold, mix it, heat it, and put it into the system, and the electricity dies. They lose millions, tens of millions of rands in those batches. The, the one thing that, that is a, a, a massive problem in the mining sector is and it, it's also with the power stations. Remember the power stations crush the coal. It, it becomes a powder almost. The same in the, mining, in the mining industry. Can you imagine that crusher stopping under load? You cannot restart it. You have to get everything open, pull everything out, and put it back and restart it. Plastic, the plastic guys, I am actually, my heart bleeds for them. They, they, a lot of things that are today made out of plastic were even earlier made out of iron. The same thing, they, they, they mold the ingredients and then they start pumping it into these mold machines and extrusions and whatever. One guy the other day said to me, you know what, at the end of last week I ended up with more waste in my machines than product. And this is why this is so serious. For the overall sector, electricity is between 4 and 6% of our costs. The problem is it's like blood. If it doesn't flow, you can't produce. My calculation is that we will, we will lose 25% of production if we have power failures every day. Now, if you listen to what Francois said, he said 0.5% of GDP of 2% is 25% lower growth. This is the minister... Minister of Finance in his budget speech says, because of the electricity problem, we can't uh, support the, the, the electricity intensive users that much because we don't have electricity. And there was a table in that budget speech which orders the high electricity users from the highest users up to a certain point, the different industries in the, in the economy. They are us. And I just said to you earlier, we earn 80%, us and the mines, 80% of the foreign exchange. Now, can you bring IPAB and the fiscal constraint to the sector, the hard underbelly of, of the sector? That's all I want to show you with this. This is just the BE legislation and the, and, the, and the changes that took place all along and the five property bills. Uh, Gordon Institute did a, a survey amongst business people asking about these five bills and this real concern about, about this. This is, this is a 
terrible slide, and I apologize for it. I try to do the same. This is that same conference picture, now just in the right way. So naught is here and 100 is there. We unfortunately don't have quarterly data on strikes. This is man days lost. But if you, if you use an annual number and you split it in four, that's what you get. But you can see the, the, the spikes of activity of, 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 of instability. Now, if you combine this and the electricity thing, you can just imagine how uncertain. One of the guys in the motor industry said when, this, when one of the strikes was going on, can you imagine my buyer in Munich at Mercedes or at Ulm thinking, is this going to arrive because I need to get this thing in China to be, to be, to be sold, sold there. So, international and domestic demand, neither. Uh, the, I showed you the supply conditions and the production and how unstable it is and the factors that influence that. Now, what is fascinating, and, and, and I, one, one, when Francis started talking, one feels as if he's in a straitjacket. But I mean, his biggest job is to have to keep stability. In a sense, that's exactly what the Minister of Finance said. I have to get this thing under control, which is exactly what they should do. But the other policies then now, this is, this is almost the President's State of the Nation address. All of these things, and you might have read something that I wrote about this, all of these issues are longer-term problems. And I'm very glad there's someone that finances the infrastructure. By the way, coal can be scrubbed, so you don't have all the pollution, but it is a dying energy source. But these things are all long-term long solutions. You can't solve it tomorrow. But they all have short-term uncertain and instability consequences. Please do still invest in our sector. Thank you. <laughs>
steel, aluminium, copper, zinc, those industries are the ones that have surpluses on the trade, on the trade balance. Now, you can use any indicator of competitiveness. To me, that is one. Their markets are open, London uh, Metal Exchange or wherever, um, and they have exactly the same constraints as all the others. Sorry, just to finish the sentence. If you then go to metal products, that's more or less okay and, it, and the trade balance is naught. If you then go to machinery, it's negative, and you go to electrical machinery, it's very negative. So the, the, all of them have the same uh, uh, constraints, if you want, electricity, labor, the whole lot, water, whatever. Uh, but these guys are and are able to actually export. So the, 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 to me, the, the, the answer is that the further you go down the pipeline of manufacturing, the more support there are in the domestic economies where these things are produced. So they get to you at a very distorted and supported in international price. Now, just to get in something about the developmental prices, it makes no sense to tax the guys that are... That are um, doesn't matter what you call it, that are actually earning their foreign exchange to support the ones, to compensate for the subsidies and the, and the incentives that are in the exporting countries that are competing with the others. So it is actually fascinating, and mining is, is the <coughs> even a better example. I mean, we mine the stuff, we have it, and we export it even at 50% less of the price. We can still make some money out of it. But the basic metals are the most competitive. Long-winded economist answer. Marius, so, uh, I'm asking about the demand side um, of this electricity crisis, and I want to talk about aluminium smelters mm. that use large amounts of e uh, electricity, and uh, they have very uneconomic <laughs> electricity supply contracts. Um, I want to know your view, uh, do you not think it's crazy to burn diesel to produce aluminium, as uh, happens so often uh, <laughs> nowadays? Uh, would it not be better for our country if they closed down totally? Um, and what do, you think, uh, what do you think will happen? And, and just on Leonard's point, um, they're competitive uh, because they, they don't face the same um, uh, issues. They have very cheap electricity. I think I must tell you a story. Um, I was at a funeral and a youngster at Stellenbosch University, one of our old, co old colleagues died and I went to the funeral and one of the young colleagues were telling one of my old professors that they are working on 20 year scenarios for companies and whatever and the professor was looking directly at me, I was looking at the guy saying and the, and the professor, when he finished with all this excitement, he looked at me and said there should be a law against that. We sold it and we signed we. ESCOM signed the electricity deals with aluminium smelters when nobody wanted to buy the electricity. They had 40% overcapacity in 1985. So you have to feel for ESCOM that they, they and, and, and remember a power station, you have to run it. You can't stop it. So that's the big, that's why they're building these water uh, um, schemes where they pump the water up here in, uh, near, in Holland and in, in the, the Inga, not the Inga, the uh, Ingula's system and the one in Natal. It's basically a battery. So they pump the water up and at night it runs back. Or at night they pump up and then down when they need the electricity. That is the dilemma that we're in. I mean, everything now, at that time, it made sense. Now it doesn't make sense, like many things when we take these long-term decisions. I don't know what's going to happen. They have a, 
Eskom has a deal with them that they actually switch them off. The big thing with aluminium, they use a lot of electricity, full stop. But you need to keep it when you, when you liquefied it, when you took the bauxite and you, aluminum and you make it liquid. It's like liquid, it's like ice and water. You have to keep it in a water state, in a liquid form. The moment it cools down, it becomes solid and it takes a lot of energy then to liquefy it again. So they have a deal with them that they, that they switch it off without warning, but only for a certain period. So in a sense, the smelter, well, there's only one left, eh? the other one is closed. Um, it's a sort of a battery, you can goof, and it's 700 or whatever uh, uh, megawatts that's, that, that you don't need. We don't know. Aluminium, the, the technology, a lot of what we are faced with as a sector is that countries like China and India have jumped technological steps over long periods of time. A lot of our stuff is old. This is applicable to the aluminium smelters as well. And uh, I really don't know. It, 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 someone said the other day, uh, what people don't remember of Schumpeter was that he said, um, what destructive creation or creative destruction. They only remember the creative side and not the destructive side. There is a huge adjustment process taking place. So just remember, we had double glazing in terms of tariffs and sanctions. And then it all fell away. And a lot of what happens now is a result. It happened in 94. So what, it's, it's, it's 20 years later. It's still happening. And remember, the other thing is, you can almost take every tariff line in the tariff book and if you order the countries where the imports came from to South Africa, from large to small, 10 years ago, China was not on that list. 20, even if you, if you have 30 countries. The last five to eight years, the rise of China and its competitiveness and its ability to, to overstock whatever is available in the country. We, I did some work the other day for a household appliance company. There was a point in 2008 where that crisis happened, where there was a structural jump in the imports of their products and it hasn't changed so but the question is can you allow that to go what will happen if everything is imported because of the, many people are saying that's why Sarkozy lost the election in France and why Obama won the election because he went to the car makers and said we will protect you so it's a long question answer but there is these there are these adjustments needed in our economy and it's very painful we are pressed for time, but maybe just one quick question, please. I'll be very quick. Uh, thanks. Um, just one thing that concerns me, concerns me and I think that, uh, people at your level um, has also asked questions about it. What in, if in three, four years' time we realize that ESCOM has lied to us all along and very little maintenance has taken place? Is there a program to keep them accountable for the maintenance and make sure it does happen when they say it's happening? Well, I, I was fascinated to listen to the bogus financial statements that you guys are getting. There is probably a chance of that, but I, there, there is such a focus on them now. The, the, the war room, and it's only three or four people, are really experts and they, they're monitoring it all the time. Um, funnily enough, the, the OEMs, the guys that built the turbines and whatever can't get enough people into the system so there is a whole list of reasons why it didn't happen and political uh, um, pressure that said keep the lights on if it doesn't happen I can't really give you an answer but if it doesn't happen we will seriously have a threat of a blackout 
and just a little bit of technical information again, only one power station in a country can restart on its own. It needs a huge amount of energy to start up because you have to start crushing the coal, get it onto the conveyor belts, get it into the furnaces, get the fans going. Only one can, can, can start up. And this is knowledge, public knowledge. Um, so you can't, cannot have it. You have to prevent a blackout that the system collapses. Um, I don't think the guys are irresponsible. This is, these are, and, and I'm sitting on a committee for, of, we at Booza said to each other, we can't all run to ESCOM and offer solutions and whatever. Let's form a group and that we have interaction directly with the war room, which is happening. Um, and it is, it's improved a lot, if I can say it that way. I have a lot of confidence in, in Brian Mulefi. He's a, it's, it's, it's like the joke about the bulldog and the Jewish mother. The bulldog knows when to let go. He's a Jewish mother. He doesn't let go. So <laughs> he, he will. I, I really believe that it, that it is happening. Great, Hank. Thank you very, very much. You, you certainly paint a grim picture, but we, <laughs> we appreciate your candor. Um, but thank you very much for your time and for coming and sharing your insights with us. Thanks. Thank you.